finishing up our study here in the book of Job. And I've been looking forward to this message. If you remember, or if you were with us last week, God appears after chapter after chapter after chapter of Job and his friends debating and talking and arguing and fighting with no conclusion and no answers. Last week in Job 38, God appears. And when he appears, he gets the conversation back to where it needs to be. Verse 4 of Job 38, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Right from the beginning, God says, I am here. And it's about me. It's not about you. And remember, that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks in our study in Job. Job is going through everything. He lost his kids. He lost his health. He lost his possessions. And the whole point of the book of Job, it's not about what you're going through. It's not about your sufferings. It's about God getting the glory. See, so often when we're going through difficult times, we always think it's about us. That's what it's about. I had a bad day. I had a bad life. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. And that's what God is trying to tell Job here is, Job, if you keep your eyes on me, this is what's going to get you through this. But if you keep your eyes on the situation, you're going to get depressed. You're going to get discouraged. Every one of you that came in here tonight have situations going on in your life that are depressing and discouraging. And some of those situations have been going on for months, years, maybe decades. But you know what? You have a Savior that wants to pull you out of the miry clay, pull you out of the pit, and set your feet on solid ground. And that's what we need to focus on. And the purpose of the book of Job is not about Job's sufferings. It's about the Lord that got him through it. And so that's what we get to talk about tonight. Now, tonight, this is really kind of fun. The second half here of chapter 40 and all of chapter 41, God's final two points. God's final two points. He just mentions two creatures the behemoth, and the Leviathan. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what these two creatures are. And some of you are going to be sitting here saying, why are we spending time talking about these two creatures? Let me share a couple reasons why. First off, it's Wednesday night. Wednesday night's fun. This is the type of stuff we get to do this, okay? So let's talk about who the behemoth and Leviathan are. Number two, you have to see this from God's perspective. If we want to skip over these two points and who these creatures are, You're basically saying, God, your final two points really aren't that big a deal. If God ended his case, if you will, his argument with these two creatures, there's a reason why the Lord did this. And so he wanted to end his conversation with his two big trump cards. And that's what he does here with the behemoth and the Leviathan. Then we'll get to chapter 42 that talks about how Job's life ends. Verse, uh, let's pick it up here, verse 15. Of Job 40. Look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. Surely the mountain yield food for him and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus tree in a covered of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade. The willows by the brook surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with a snare. A little bit of background. If you remember correctly from our study last week, God starts out with talking about creation. He goes, Job, who are you to question me? Can you explain creation? 
Can you explain the sea? Can you explain the mountains? Can you explain space? Okay, no, you can't. Job, can you explain nature now? That's the second chapter, chapter 39. Can you explain the, the idea of a birth and the animals and the horse and the ostrich and the hawk and how it flies? No, Job, you can't. Then last week we finished up in chapter 40. Is Job, can you explain man, the pride that man has? And now he finishes his argument with this. Is Job, can you explain the behemoth? Now, some of your Bibles may have a little translation there. If you have a commentary on the bottom, it says something that behemoth could have been a, a hippo. Or an elephant. And if you look through it, it kind of makes sense, right? Eats grass like an ox. Strength is in his hips. You know, this idea of he's beams of bronze, ribs like iron. And it makes the case there. But there's a couple passages here with the behemoth that makes me say, I don't like the idea of the hippo elephant. And this is why I don't really like the idea of the hippo elephant. Number verse 17. He moves his tail like a cedar. Have you ever seen a hippo tail elephant tail? I've got a couple of slides here I want to show you. Dustin, can you go ahead and put those up? Okay. That's what an elephant and a hippo would look like if they had a tail that moved like a cedar. Now, that doesn't look right, does it? It looks actually kind of funky there. Dustin, can you kill one of the lights up here real quick? So, when you think of a hippo and an elephant, it just doesn't seem to click. Can you go to the next? I do this to Dustin every week. I'm sorry, Dustin. Thank you. Would you please go to the next slide? See, that's not a cedar tree. That's a tiny little tail. So what has a cedar tree tail? One more slide, Dustin. That's like a cedar tree. And I'm going to come out and I'm going to say, I believe personally that what uh, God is describing here is I think God's describing a dinosaur. And I have no problems with that. And I think this is kind of interesting. Because if you want to go that route of the hippo or the elephant, verse 17, he moves his tail like a cedar. I just don't see that. I don't see that. Verse 19, he is the first of the ways of God. Only he, my translation, New King James, capital H, only he who made him can bring near his sword. This beast was so intimidating that when God says this, he's saying to Job, you know no man would go near this. Men go near hippos and elephants all the time. Now, some of you may want to say, okay, hippos are the most dangerous creature in creation. Or, you know, I understand that or how big elephants are. I get that. I understand but when you look at this description here, verses 15 through 24, there's something bigger that God's talking about. God is saving his two big points for the end. I believe that when the book of Job is written thousands of years ago, I believe that these creatures still could have been around. They're created on the same day as Job anyway. Look back at uh, verse 15. Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. Man was created on day six. Dinosaurs were created on day six. We believe in a literal six-day creation. That's what we teach and believe out here. Now, I'm just going to be honest. You go to the world, you go to work tomorrow, and you say, hey, what did you talk about last night at church? Talked about man and dinosaurs living together. You'll be mocked. You'll be made fun of. You'll be looked down upon. You know what? And that's okay. But I believe in what I teach when I see this, this tough, intimidating this, this huge creature, this tail that is like a cedar tree. I think when God was talking to Job, I think it's almost like he's saying to Job, Job, look at that behemoth. You wouldn't go near that thing. That thing that's just sitting in the river, just doing those. You wouldn't even go near it in any way whatsoever. Job, if you can't control that, if you can't get near that, who are you to even get near me? Now, if it was an elephant, yeah, elephants are intimidating. But we get near them. 
something like this, I don't think we'd go near. Now, this is the fun of a Wednesday night. I just wanted to share this with you real quick. Talking about their tail being like the tail of a cedar. These seropod dinosaurs, about 90 to 100 feet long, with its tail counting for nearly half of its length, weighed about 35 tons. A single one weighed as much as a half dozen African elephants. But this is where it gets fascinating. Now, conjecture, opinion, take it or leave it. Weighing more than 3,000 pounds itself, the tail, the tail weighed 3,000 pounds. Roughly three feet wide at its base and gradually tapers down to the width of a human thumb. The last few yards of the tail are made up of rather small, fragile bones and weigh less than a pound. This is where it gets fascinating. Take it or leave it. I'm not trying to push anything here. They have done simulations with this that a wave traveling from one vertebrae to the next down a tail could ultimately reach a speed of 1,300 miles per hour. That's how quickly, fast they can move their tails. Fast enough to generate an enormous sonic boom, an estimated 200 decibels. Its loudness would rival that of a massive naval gun. That's one of the things they think they did, is they used these tails as weapons. Now, quote, We cannot prove that supersonic tail cracking occurred, but it is physically feasible, end quote. Take it or leave it. It's fun to talk about. But I think it's fascinating that if we believe every scripture is God-breathed through the Holy Spirit, and the Lord wanted to make this point in verse 17, he moves his tail like a cedar. That if he saw one of these things walking around, and half of its length is a tail weighing 3,000 pounds itself. If you've ever been over to Richard and Betsy's house, their dog, Nana, has a tail that could knock down a 300-pound man. That's a dog's tail. Now, imagine a 35-ton behemoth. I think God's trying to make a point here. If you want to go the route of the hippo and the elephant, hey, we're not going to fight over these things. Jesus died on the cross for your sins being wrong too. I'm cool with that. And some of you may be saying, why are we spending time talking about dinosaurs? Because it's right there. And this is what I think it's talking about. That's my opinion. Take it or leave it. God saved his two big trump cards for the end. One of them seems to be the idea of the behemoth, and I think it's fascinating. Dustin, you go ahead and uh, flip those lights back on if you don't mind, please. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here about the behemoth before we move on to the Leviathan? Brian. And that's the thing is when I was doing a little bit of studying on this and talking about how powerful the tail is, one of the quotes of the scientist said, you have to remember, if these things are weighing 35 to 50 tons, how much energy it would take to even lift a leg to move? I mean, it is. It's a behemoth. It's a behemoth. And that's kind of this interesting, fascinating point. And I just envision, my opinion, as God is talking to Job here, it's almost like Job could look over in the distance in the river and see one of these behemoths standing there. And God's like saying, Job, can you control that? The obvious answer is no. You can't tell me about creation, Job. You can't tell me about nature. You can't tell me about man. And you can't tell me about that thing, Job. So, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Now, it gets even more fascinating, because that was the first card he played. The second card he plays now is Leviathan. 
Verse 1 of chapter 41. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Now we're back to some type of sea creature. Snare his tongue with the line which you lowered. Can you put a reed through his nose, pierce his jaw with the hook? Some conservative people think this is a huge crocodile. Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. What God is trying to say here in verses 9 through 11 is, if you see Leviathan and you won't even go near Leviathan, how are you supposed to talk to me? If you're intimidated and scared by Leviathan, and you're not going to mess with Leviathan, how are you going to mess with me? Isn't that a fascinating argument? Job, you're afraid to go near that, but yet you're willing to take me on. Isn't that human nature? We get scared of these simple, tiny little things, but yet we're going to stand up to God and disobey the Lord. Yes, uh, last week, Dawn came in. She was going outside to collect the eggs from the chickens, and she said, we have skunks out in our yard. So... Now, Dawn doesn't want to deal with skunks. I don't blame her. Last year, I went outside. It was nighttime to go take care of something. I met a skunk. Skunk met me. I got sprayed. Not a lot of fun. I went and got the shotgun, and I sprayed the skunk. I'm just telling you. I won, just for the record. So I went out, and I saw the skunks. There's two of them, and took care of the one. The other one then ran into the building. No, it's not that big. Yay big. It's kind of cute, actually, right? I'm not going in the building, though. I'm not. I have a gun. It's got a tail. It wins. I'm not going in the building. I would not go near a skunk, but yet I'll sit here sometimes and the Lord will lay on my heart, go speak to that person. No, Lord. James, I I want you to work on just going deeper with me. Oh, no, Lord. I'm more scared of a skunk than I am telling God no. Is that fascinating? And this is what... God is trying to tell Job, Job, you're willing to stand up to me, but yet you're afraid of that animal, that creature, that creation. Verse 12, I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his faith with his terrible teeth all around? His rows of scales or his pride shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. We're talking about his teeth. They're joined one to another. They stick together. They cannot be parted. Now, this is where it gets fascinating. His sneezings flash forth light. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from the boiling pot and burning rushes. Almost sounds like some type of a dragon. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid because of his crashings. They are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail. Nor does a spear, dart, or javelin. You're not going to kill him with a man-made weapon. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. 
the arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. His undersides are like sharp pot shears. He spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair on earth. There is nothing like him, which is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. I don't think it's a crocodile or an alligator. You know, there's this beautiful saltwater uh, crocodile at the Toledo Zoo, if you haven't seen it. Man, I stand there and I'm fascinated by that thing. I'm not scared. Now, granted, there's six inches of glass between us, but the point is, you're fascinated. You know what I mean? What we're talking about here is something. This, this is quite the thing. Now, if you remember correctly, we've had a, a guy by the name of Dr. Mace Baker come out here a couple of times, a real neat creationist scientist. And he, last time he came out, he did this great teaching on dinosaurs, dragons, and the Bible. Fascinating study. Just to really look at this type of stuff and look at it from that perspective. Now, so what is Leviathan? Okay, maybe it's a crocodile. Maybe it's some type of a sea creature that no longer exists. Maybe it was a unique creation of God. Maybe it was something along that type of line. Maybe it's something. I don't know for sure what it is. And God doesn't go into a lot of details. But he wants us to remind us is this, verses 10 and 11. You can't go near it. You can't touch it. I'm in control. That's what he wants to say. Now, this is where it gets interesting, though, because this is where when he's talking about behemoth, he seems to be talking about a creature, a creation. It was created on the same day as you, Job. When he talks about Leviathan, it's different, isn't it? Some people believe that what he's actually describing here in chapter 41 is a picture of Satan. That's kind of a fascinating thing, because behemoth is only mentioned once in the Bible, only here in Job. Leviathan is mentioned throughout the scriptures numerous times. And if you want to do a fun little study, and you want to dig into stuff a little bit more, I'm not trying to push this point. When you read about Leviathan, put all the scriptures together, all of a sudden you start seeing spiritually, is the Lord maybe talking about something else? Because the Bible, excuse me, I should say, the book of Job starts out with what? Satan. It starts out with Satan. And isn't that kind of interesting that maybe God's final trump card he wants to play is, Job, I'm even more powerful than your worst enemy. And if you don't have to worry about him, then you don't have to worry about me and what I'm doing to you. Isaiah 27 says this, verse 1, if you're a note taker. And that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan. Now why would God have to punish Leviathan? Punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. That's kind of interesting. Now, if you want to take notes, go a little bit deeper. Revelation 12, verse 9. Revelation 20, verse 2. Guess what Satan's referred to as? The serpent from old. Guess what happens in Revelation 13 when the Antichrist comes? What does he come out of? He comes out of the sea. What does it say here in Isaiah 27, 1? Leviathan is the fleeing serpent, the twisted serpent that is in the sea. I'm not trying to make a case. I'm just saying it's kind of a fascinating study. Leviathan could have been a really big crocodile. I don't think they'd be that scary, though, for those guys back then. Could have been a unique creation that only existed at this time, and it was a -a one-of-a-kind thing. That's possible. It could have been something else, and it could be a creation. It also could be, spiritually speaking, of Satan. We don't know for sure. But Leviathan is mentioned numerous times throughout the Bible, and it's a fascinating study. The point of it is this. God says, the behemoth, Job, you won't go near it. I created it, so that shows my power. Job, Leviathan, Leviathan completely scares you. But I control that. So, Job, you know my power. 
These are the final two points that God makes in his argument, and what a fascinating point to kind of end on here. Any quick questions, comments about this? Ryan. Yeah, if you really want to freak yourself out, um, go look up some of these uh, great sea creatures that existed, you know, thousands of years ago, and you look at the craziness of them and the scariness of them, and then go take a dip in a pond. It really, it really is. It's really something that we just can't even fathom. But back then, it was something that by God just name-dropping Leviathan, Job would know exactly what he's talking about. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Yeah, Rose. And that's one of the neat things that Dr. Baker points out when he came before. And I, to be honest with you, I can't even remember the last time I was here. I'd like to give you the reference that you could grab a copy of that CD or uh, get it. But it, like Rose was just saying, there's so much here where uh, you know people have made comments about it or looked at it, the history of it. It's just fascinating, fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dinosaurs is actually a fairly new term. I, I, I don't know the exact year. I think it was more 1800s, but yeah, still only in the last, last you know, 150 years here or so. It's, it's a fairly new term in the whole scheme of things. One last point about Leviathan I just want to make sure you mention, talking about personifying him as maybe something different. Once again, just kind of look here. Look here real quick, verses 3 and 4. Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? And look at verses 33 and 34. On earth there is nothing like him which he has made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. Something interesting there. Just something to kind of chew on. So Job's response to this, verse 1, chapter 42. Then Job answered to the Lord and said, I know you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered things which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. If you remember correctly last week, Job confessed. Now Job repents. Okay, confession. Confession means to agree that you are right and I am wrong. The literal word for confession means to look at it from that other person's perspective. It carries this idea of God says what we've done is wrong. I look at my sin. I draw a line in the sand. I step on the other side of that line, see it from God's perspective, and I say, I confess to you, God, that I am wrong. I agree with you that I am wrong. And that's what we talked about last week with Job. He confessed, but he didn't repent yet. Repent means to do a 180. To completely turn the other direction. That's what repent means. Now, there's a lot of people that confess. I agree I am wrong. But they don't repent. you got to have the package deal. And how can you repent unless you agree it's wrong? And that's where both sides come into this. is confessing that I agree with God that my actions are sin. And now I repent. I do a 180 and change. You can't have one without the other. If you've ever run into somebody who agrees that their actions are wrong, but yet they don't repent, you know how sad and frustrating that is. 
And if you run into somebody who says, fine, I'll change. Well, do you realize what you did wrong? Nope, I don't know if I did anything wrong or not, but I'm still going to change. Oh, that ain't going to last. Because your heart has to agree it's wrong. Then your heart has to say, I no longer want this. Job says right here in verse 6, I abhor myself. Some of your translations, I despise myself. What it literally means, I reject myself. What Job is saying in verse 6, I reject everything I've said over the previous 33 chapters. That's confession and repentance. Confession and repentance is not, well, I'm sorry what I did, but if you don't quit acting like a jerk... That's not confession and repentance. That's me saying I'm sorry, but I think you really are the one that caused it, and I want to make sure you know it. Confession and repentance is not, well, if you think I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Confession and repentance is I see it from God's perspective. I am wrong. I abhor myself. I reject everything I've said and done because I am a sinner. Guess what God's response is, verse 7? And so it was after that the Lord had spoken these words to Job. It's over. It's just done. That's the beauty of God's forgiveness. It's just done. You know, we're going through Jonah in our small group studies. Jonah and Jonah chapter 2 from the belly of the fish. I'm wrong. Guess what God does? It's over. It's done. Spit you out. David, after committing murder, adultery, and hiding it, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan's response, the Lord has forgiven you. It's done. That's the beauty of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness does not withhold it. He does not hang it over your head. We as human beings do that. Someone has hurt you. Someone has wronged you. They're sorry. Well, you'll think about forgiving them down the road maybe sometime, but you want them to sweat it out a little bit. No, not with the Lord. Job says, I abhor myself. I despise myself. I reject what I said. And verse 7, it is just over. What has happened, verse 7, so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. Basically, God says, yeah, I heard you guys as all your speeches. Verse 8, now therefore take for yourself seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Hey guys, go offer some sacrifices. Remember, this is Old Testament. The animal sacrifices could never take away sin. According to the book of Hebrews, they only could cover up the sin. So these animals took the punishment for their words. Verse 8, So now Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Wow. God says, I'm going to take care of this. i got two more slides real quick. Uh, Dustin, can you put the first one up there real quick? And you've already seen these ones. They're just some verses I just kind of want to share here. I want to remind you of what Job had said. We did this one last week. Remember Job's comments? First one, Job 10, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of wicked? Job made pretty big words in Job 10. God, you show me what I've done wrong. God, you make your case. Job 31, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Come on, God, give me your case. And then Job 23, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job had asked to have an argument with God throughout this entire book. God should have, could have, just said, forget this. But he didn't. 
Because the purpose of the book of Job is not about Job's sufferings. It's about God and his grace and his mercy and his love. Like I said, we mentioned with Jonah, the small groups, the purpose of the book of Jonah is not Nineveh getting saved. Amen. The purpose of the book of Jonah is God's infinite grace towards Jonah. That Jonah, this reluctant prophet that never wanted to do anything, God still wanted to use. When you look at David, David, this this man of a a murderer, of an adulterer, of, of a thief, if you will, stealing a wife. The Bible still says he was a man after God's own heart. See, Job said these awful things. And what made it all okay? When he repented. Isn't that the beauty of I'm sorry to the Lord? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So the Lord restores it. One more slide here real quick. Uh, Next one there, please, Dustin. This is from the, uh, on Sunday, we mentioned this just a couple uh, days ago when we talked about marriage and God restoring marriages. And a real quick plug, if you weren't here Sunday, get a copy of the CD or go listen to it online. We had Carrie and Gary Baird get up and share their testimony on just how the Lord blessed and healed their marriage. Amazing, and I hope you can get a copy of that. But these verses that we talk about with God healing hurt marriages also applies to Job's life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. You may have come here tonight, and you're a Job moment. You're in the moment of weeping. God says joy comes in the morning. Joel 2, 25. I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locusts had eaten. The context of Joel chapter 2 is that these locusts had come in swarms and ate and destroyed everything. God says, I can restore that to you. And lastly, I love this one, Isaiah 61, 3. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Your life is an ash heap. God wants to give you beauty. The oil of joy for mourning. You're in a season of mourning. God wants to give you joy. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You have a heaviness on you, a burden. God wants to give you praise. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God says, I will restore this Job. Job gets double back. Verse 11, guess who finally shows up? Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him. Well, now that the party started, they'll come. And they consoled him and comforted him for the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. If you want to compare that to Job 1 verse 3, he got double. God blessed him doubled. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, note he did not get his children doubled. He had ten kids. He has ten more. Why would God not double his children? Because he never lost his kids. They just happened to change residency and went up to heaven. So he still has 20 kids. Verse 14, he called the name of the first, Jeminiah, the son name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. And all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Please note in verse 15, That is quite the statement to be said, that these girls received an inheritance. You're talking thousands of years ago. That was not the customary idea of the uh, nations at the time. I think it's a neat picture of God's grace. Verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. So all is well that ends well, right? But, you know, when we go through this book... When we look at this, it's really easy to say, well, it ended up okay. But remember what we said all the way back from the first message in Job. Job never found out why. As far as we know, Job never found out why. Even in God's speeches in Job 38, 39, 40, and 41, he never says, Job, let me tell you what happened. 
I was sitting on my throne. Satan came in. Satan kind of picked on you, and we got to have this little bet. Never found out. And that's the point of this. It's not about Job's sufferings. It's about keeping your eyes on the Lord. It is. I mean, think back to when Peter walked on the water. You know the story. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk on water. The Bible says as soon as Peter took his eyes off Christ and looked at the waves and the sea and the wind, what happened? He sank. Same thing happens with you and I today. Everybody here is going through a Job moment. You have something that's not right. Physically, maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're struggling with something emotionally. You're struggling with something spiritually. I don't know. As we just read in those verses, you have a spirit of heaviness or mourning or sadness. Hey, who are you going to keep your eyes on? If you're going to keep your eyes on everything that's wrong, you're going to be stuck in Job 3 through 37 for the rest of your life. And that is depressing and discouraging. But when you get your eyes back on the Lord, you'll be in Job 42, where the Lord says, I want to bless you and take care of you. And no matter what you've gone through, I want to be there for you. And that's the point of the book of Job, is God is a loving, gracious God. I mean, that's the point of the book of Jonah. He gives Jonah grace. David, he gives grace. Moses, the murderer, gives, gets grace. Abraham, the liar, gets grace. I mean, we can just fill in all the blanks here of all these Old Testament and New Testament people. God's a God of grace. And that's exactly what you see here in the book of Job. Any final questions, comments here about Job before we finish this study up then? Tina. I Yeah, he doesn't. And and Tina brings up a good point there. Our last main character that appears in chapter 32, you know, we got the three friends, then we got Elihu that kind of appears, and no one says anything about him. Which leads us to a couple ideas. Uh, Maybe, number one, God liked what he said. That's quite possible. Or, maybe since he didn't talk as much as the others, he was kind of pushed off to the side. Maybe God was basically saying, yeah, don't even worry about him. We don't know for sure. But these other three... These other three definitely came in in a different light and attitude. Much more firm, much more aggressive, much more Job. The reason you're suffering is because you're wicked and wrong. At least Lehu, in his speech, seemed to put the focus back more on the Lord. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All righty. Well, hey, for those that uh, have been with us through this study, I hope you were blessed. I think Job is probably one of the more deeper, more difficult books to go through. But I tell you, there's a lot of life in this book because there's a lot of stuff that we can relate to. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just come to you now, we think of just this study, once again, for those that are going through Job moments right now, in the name of Jesus, show them your hand. That you, If you can handle Behemoth, if you can handle Leviathan, you can handle them. Thank you for being a God of graciousness and mercy. Lord, we come to you in confession. We come to you in repentance. And we say we abhor ourselves because you are God and we're not. But thank you for your loving arms. You want to restore us. You want to take care of us. You want to bless us. Thank you, Lord, for that. And help us to keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you and all that we say and do in your name. Amen couple quick reminders. Next Wednesday, we'll be taking a break, uh, evening of just uh, testimonies and, and praise and thanks. We'll start a new book here in a couple weeks then. So you guys have a good evening. God bless. We'll have a time of prayer up here. If anybody has anything you want to pray for, come on up and we'll have a time of prayer up here. Have a good evening and God bless, guys.